Hello, my name is Peter Jonathan Robertson. I've been interviewing celebrities since 1984 when I trained as a journalist. I'm now turning a selection of those interviews into podcasts for a collection called the PJ Archive. The third is with the American singer Tammy Wynette, known as the first lady of country music. Her hits included D-I-V-O-R-C-E, Justified and Ancient, and most famously, Stand By Your Man. A delightful person with a great character and an incredible voice, Tammy tragically left this world in 1998, aged just 55. I was lucky enough to do several interviews with her, including this one at her management's office in Nashville in 1994, when she was promoting her duets album, Without Walls. It seems to be the trend to do duet albums at the moment. Well, you know, I started this. I started this two years ago, and uh, it caught on. And after I started mine, I went down to re- to Atlanta to record with Elton, and Elton said, well, I- I'm, I'm going to do that too. So he's already got his out. It took me longer because he took off the time to do his, and I didn't. I've just done mine in between schedules and had to meet everybody else's schedules. But then Frank Sinatra did it. And I was talking to a couple of the country artists, uh, the girls, last week, and they're, they're wanting to do it now. Tanya Tucker wants to do it. So it's, it's been a, a thrill for me, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. I uh, asked Sony Records, um, when I'd been there a little over 25 years, if uh, they called me in and asked if there was anything I wanted to do that I had never done. I told them, yeah, I wanted to record an album with people that weren't country artists. And uh, they said, go to it. So I did. I I guess after being there for 25 years, they couldn't hardly turn me down. Tell us some of the artists who you have recorded with on this album. Uh, I did a duet with Elton John, one with Cliff Richard that I just adore Cliff. He's wonderful. Uh, I did one with uh, Aaron Neville, Smokey Robinson, Winona, Lyle Lovett, uh, Joe Diffie, Sting, I'm leaving out some. No, that's it. That's the eight. There's quite a few British artists there. Yes, they are. Uh-huh. Sting and uh, Elton and uh, Cliff. So was this a deliberate move to move away from country music temporarily? Oh, no. No, not at all. I don't feel that I am anything except country, and that's all I ever want to be. And I've been very successful there, so I'd be stupid to try to, to ever you know, change that. And I can't. I just sing one way. But I just sing the way I've always sung, and they sing the way they've always sung. And it's just, I guess the music makes a little bit of difference, but it's just country to me. Are there any particular anecdotes about the the other artists that you've recorded with? After the session that I recorded with Aaron Neville, I got very deathly ill and uh, was put in the hospital, and I was on a life support system for five days. And about two weeks ago, Aaron called, and uh, I said, I'm doing fine. How are you? And he said, well, I just made a brand-new friend, and I sure didn't want to lose her this quick. I said, oh, you can't get rid of me that soon. And he said, well, you've introduced me to the rag magazines. He said, I've never had the tabloids after me until I got involved with you, and now they're on my case. So uh, I think he's having to put up with Star and Enquirer and uh, Globe and all those magazines that I buy every week to see if I'm in them. So <laughs> he's putting up with that now. But Smokey was just wonderful. He was real easy to, to work with. Joe Diffie is my favorite country new hunk. And... Uh, Lyle Lovett, I have loved since he did Stand By Your Man. Uh, I thought that took courage for him to do that. Uh, I told him if I had been with him and seen him before he did Stand By Your Man, I would have suggested one thing. Instead of him opening the song up like I did, sometimes it's hard to be a woman. If he would have said, it must be hard to be a woman, giving all your love to just one man, that would have set it up perfectly for a male artist. But he didn't care. He just loves the song. And uh, he came in while I was sick, and I didn't get to record with him. 
So he went back to L.A., and then he found out when I was out of the hospital, when I was going back in the studio, and he came back so we could do it together because it's just a better feeling when you're in the studio with the, with the artist. And I don't like to do my voice and then wait and send it somewhere and let somebody else put it on. So I like to be there when it's all happening. It's just That's the fun of it for me, the creative part. I gather Elton John sent you a funny note. Oh, he did. I could have killed him. He was so funny. Uh, I told him at the uh, end of the session I had the original lyrics that he and Bernie had written, and I said, Elton, would you sign this for me, please? And he said, sure. And I said, I want to frame it. And he said, okay. So he put, to the Queen of Country from the Queen of England. <laughs> He's just incredible. He is so funny. I read an article that uh, he had in a paper in Detroit, Michigan, about two or three weeks ago. And he was talking about all the people that, that he had done uh, music with. And he said on his album, he said he worked with a lot of gay people. And he said, oh, and I did do some with some straight people. Tammy wouldn't have. <laughs> well, at least he named me. <laughs> but uh, Do you think the country purists will be offended by the fact that you're, you're working outside of their area? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think they will. Uh, is there no snobbery involved in country music like that? Mm, there is some, yeah, because they gave Dolly fits years ago when she went to L.A. and started doing a lot of things like that. But I think they know that I'm not trying to depart from country, that this is just something that I had always wanted to do with people that I have admired through the years. And once they hear me sing on, on the record, you know, they're going to know that I'm singing just like I always did it. So. Is there anyone you couldn't get that you wanted to get for this yes. album? James Taylor. I wanted James Taylor really, really bad, and I'll be working with him, Sting, and Elton, and Pavarotti uh, for the, uh, I think it's uh, 8th of April at Carnegie Hall. We're doing the thing for, um, I think it's the uh, Save the Rainforest or whatever that the environmental thing is. And just at the last minute, Sting called the office and said, ask if, if I was still uh, doing, if I had any more duets to do. And I've always loved Sting ever since he was with Police, but I, I, you know, I never dreamed of recording with him. He, I just, that hadn't entered my mind. And he said that he would like to do other duets. I thought, gosh, that's great. That finishes out my entire album, and that's just wonderful because uh, I think he's a neat guy. Mm. We had dinner with him the night before the recession, and he's just an ordinary person like I am. Now, do you think there will be, apart from this concert at the Carnegie Hall, are you going to do a tour with some of these artists and perhaps do some duets on stage? Um, not anything except something special like this for the Rainforest Star. I think that's what it's for. Uh, I won't be, I might go to some of their concerts and just go up and guest and do one, do mm. the one song with them, but I would never, no, I'm just going to stick to my country concerts mm. and keep plugging away. You had a huge hit a few years ago with the KLF, a marvellous uh, record that was. Do you get a lot of requests to do that on stage? I presume it's impossible to do that, isn't it? Well, it is impossible to do it, and uh, I do get an awful lot of requests. Almost every night somebody will say, gosh, I wish you'd have done Moo Moo Land. They never call it Justified Nature. It's Moo Moo Land. And uh, it, it was so strange how that came up. Uh, my husband came home one day and he said, I've, I've got a request from a, a British group. They want you to do a song, and I said, "Well, who are they?" And he said, "Well, they're they're in Billboard. They're they're a good group." Um, he said, "But I brought it home for you to listen to. I don't know what you'll think." And I had my twin granddaughters with me that day, and they were three. And I put it on. I was listening. Boy, they were dancing all over the place to the to the track. And uh, I went in and started cooking dinner. And uh, one of the twins said, "Mama, I'll play Moo Moo Land one more time." So, and I just played it all afternoon for them. And I got it was had such a catchy little tune. I loved it. So the lyrics are outrageous. Yeah. How did you feel about reading those? <laughs> well, he rewrote part of it after we got uh, build it after we got to the studio. And I had to ask him. I said, "What is ninety nine? It's an ice cream flavor or something like that. I don't know for sure. And the ice cream truck, and he explained that um, the ice cream truck was something that they did for a publicity thing mm. a long time ago. They, I think, served ice cream or something. 
And, oh, gosh, I had bunches of questions. I said, where's Moo Moo Land? Anyway, anywhere you want it to be. <laughs> so uh, it was great. Um, we, I told my husband, I said, tell him I want to do it. And I didn't understand how they had chosen me. And uh, they said that they grew up on my music because they're, they're in their mid-30s. They're about mm-hmm. the age my, my oldest kids are. And uh, they had grown up on my music, and he said he was sitting at the console one day, and he told Jimmy, the other member, he said, you know the perfect voice for this? And he said, yeah, it's Tammy, but we can't get her. Mm-hmm. And it just worked out. He was going home that night, and he saw my poster at the Palladium because I was coming in yeah, October. And he said, I can't, I, can't, uh, I can't wait till October. I've got to get her now. So this was in August. Mm-hmm. So he called. He came over and brought the tape and rewrote the song. Uh, they called me up in Tennessee. All that was rewritten at the studio, just a spur-of-the-minute thing. What were the original lyrics then? I can't remember now. And there was three verses in which we wound up only putting two verses on, but there was a third verse that was that was really cute, and I can't remember it now. But it, it was, I was a nervous wreck, and my husband was driving us to the studio, and I told Bill, I said, I am a nervous wreck. And he said, you are. I can, he said, I'm just fidgety, very fidgety. And I said, well, we'll both be nervous and scared through this. But it was just a, a beat that I had never sung to. It was uh, music like I'd never sung to, you know, and it was just a little different. But I thought, hey, I'm just only me, so I'm just going to sing it the only way I know how and hope did, it goes. Did you get a lot of other rock groups and, and, and latest sort of techno groups trying to get you to do things as well after that? I've, I've had several groups to ask me to do things, and Tom Petty was just wonderful. <laughs> he said, uh, you'll have to someday do something with me. And I had planned on doing one with Tom on this album and uh, Melissa Etheridge, and it just didn't work out. But I got one on a Judd, and uh, she's the only girl on the album. But I, I enjoyed it. I was in bed one morning, and the phone rang, and I picked it up, and this guy said, Radio Israel calling. I said, Israel, radio is. He said, "Yeah, you've had the number one record with Justified and Ancient for five weeks." So I couldn't believe it. we had a number one record in eighteen countries. It was just, and I did it for all the right reasons. I did it for fun, for something different, for a change, and just, just and it, fun. It was it, yeah. When you, I think when you, when you go into a, a project and you think, "Oh, this is going to make me this much money and this mm. much money," I don't think it ever does. Mm. I think it's always wrong. You do things because you want to do it and you feel like doing it, and, and the spark is there. It's better. Has anyone ever asked you to modernize any of your old hits like Stand By Your Man, do a sort of techno version of that? <coughs> no, and <coughs> what's so strange about that is this year, Stand By Your Man was in four movies. And uh, it was in Sleepless in Seattle, and the soundtrack has sold over three million, so that's just like another three million seller for Stand By Your Man. I couldn't believe it. I said, that song just refuses to die. But nobody's ever asked me to to redo any of them. But one of these days I probably will because I know Jones is redoing some of his. And I went in with uh, with my ex-husband, George Jones, the other day to redo a song that we had done on one of our first albums, Golden Ring, that he's doing an, an album called Unplugged, taking it from Rod Stewart or all of them that are doing it now. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was like we had never quit singing together. It was so weird. We just walked in and started singing. And, and all on the way down to the studio, I kept telling Richie and my husband, I said, I hope he doesn't sing it as high as he used to because I can't hit that high note. So I got there and I walked in and I said, what key you want to do this in, George? And he said, I hope you don't do it in the same key we wrote it in because that's too high. Mm -hmm. I said, no, I don't. So my fear, his fear was that the other one would be wanting to sing it Mm -hmm. too high. So uh, we recut it and now we have plans to do an entire album. That will be my next project. I'll probably start sometime in May. So you're working with George Jones again? Yeah. After 13 years, yeah, we're working together again. We're going to do some touring together and uh, uh, plan on an album. How do the two Georges get on? Oh, they get along great. Yeah. They get along great. Richie was uh, was Jones' best friend, and we used to write together long before mm. when Richie was married to his late wife. 
And when Jones and I were married, we, we spent an awful lot of time together. And Richie was my best friend and mm-hmm. Jones's best friend. And it was three years after Jones and I uh, divorced that Richie and I started seeing each other. And it was, mm-hmm. he was just like an old friend, you know, and all of a sudden it was more than friends. So it was, mm-hmm. um, it's, been a great, it's been a great marriage for us. We've been together 17 years now. They always say you should marry your best friend, yeah, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we can talk, and he knows what I like. He knew what I liked and disliked before he, long before he ever married me. And uh, I knew him so well because we wrote together so well. And it's, it's been a good marriage. It's been mm. very good. We were talking earlier about the new wave in country music, or that's what they call it. Do you believe there is a revival in country music at the moment? Well, I don't know if I'd call it revival or not, but there definitely is an upsurge in, mm. in country music fans. Uh, the sale of country music records, uh, albums. Uh, Garth Brooks sold nine million on an album. That's unheard of. That's never happened in country music before. Um, Garth has been wonderful for country music. But I think we really have to go back and thank Randy Travis because he's the one that brought it back all, all the way. <clears throat> he used to have on his bus back to country and I think everybody really he's, he has such a different and a wonderful voice that uh, in this day and age in my opinion strictly my opinion but the world is so scatterbrained it's, I mean everything in the world happening I think people are just ready for a basic down to earth real kind of music and uh, he is appealing to uh, like the 70's rock crowd uh, he does a 70's rock concert uh, it's definitely not just what all of us know as a country concert. He does a wonderful job. He's just magnificent on stage. Well, you know, you saw him. But uh, Do you like that? Do you like <coughs> that new image that, that country music is getting, the sort of rock image it's getting, or do you kind of resent that slightly? Uh, I don't know if I resent it or not. I, I think about it uh, and hope that it's not going to be a fad that's going to die away. You know, I hope that, of course, country is definitely not a fad. It's been here for so many, many years. And I wouldn't... I wouldn't think anything like that could, you know, destroy it, but I, I wouldn't want to see that. Mm. Uh, I'm just really thankful to all the, the new artists who have helped bring new and, and younger fans into the audience, because Garth's definitely done that. Randy's definitely done that. I worked with Randy for four years, and we had sold-out crowds every night of like fifteen to 20,000 people, and that's unheard of in country. Will it be influencing you, though, when you go on stage, you're going to be smashing guitars and throwing <laughs> water all over the audience? No. Nope, I change clothes. That's about the most exciting thing in my show. Uh, I enjoy a clothes change. But Reba, I understand, changes eight times in her show. To me, that would be very distracting to me as the artist trying to sing. I'd be wondering, well, how much time do I have before I go change clothes? So uh, I do one clothes change because I think um, a show to me is a show. You have to show the flashy or the, the beautiful clothes, in my opinion, only my opinion. Instead of just singing, you know, why would it be called a show if you're not there to show what, the, you know, music you've got in you, the talent and or lack of, and uh, clothes. I, I just think it, I don't like to see a, a group go on stage with their blue jeans and just everybody dressing different. I don't like that at all. And my boys still dress alike. They don't dress in Western outfits, but they, they all dress alike. Sometimes they'll have black Levi's on the gray shirt, but they're all alike. And I like that. That's the old-fashioned me, I guess, coming out. But I just don't... I think anybody can wear blue jeans and walk up and down the street, you know, with a T-shirt on, but I don't think many people can afford a lot of the stuff that we buy for stage shows. You know, I like that part of it. And, oh. too, I like to shop, so <laughs> I get a lot of clothes that way. <laughs> I've always wondered how you get on with your contemporaries in country music, people <clears throat> like Dolly Parton and so on. Are you good friends with them, or are they major rivals to you? Oh, no. No, no, they're, they're never rivals. They never have been. 
Uh, Dolly, I don't get to see as, nearly as much of since she's gotten into the movies and everything, but when she and Loretta and I did this album, it was just so much fun. It was just like uh, three girlfriends going in to do something. You know, we just Neither one of us told the other one, you do this and you do that. You know, it was just a lot of fun, and we enjoyed that, making the album very much. Uh, I've never, ever been jealous. I don't know of anybody that I was ever jealous of or envious of or anything. When I started having number one records, Loretta was having number one records, and Jeannie Seeley had a number one record, and I was just happy for them. It didn't matter to me. There'd been times when I'd say, oh, I wish I had gotten that song, but that's just to the uh, extent of my jealousy. I just wasn't. I was happy for them. So who are you... Who are you actually friends with? Who are you close friends with in the country music Loretta, I guess, is, is my uh, closest friend. Laurie Morgan is a very dear friend. And uh, Dolly, Dolly's a friend. But Loretta would be, and uh, Laurie would be my closest friend right now. And I love uh, Laurie Morgan and I love Pam Tillis. I think they're just extremely talented girls. Is there anyone that you still idolize slightly that if we know when you're near them you still feel quite... Jones. Uh, George Jones is, uh, he just still, I'm just in awe of his singing. He just is so unbelievable. Uh, he never gets worse. He gets better and better and better. And uh, I dreamed in the cotton fields years and years ago that uh, that I would sing with Jones one day. I never dreamed it would ever happen. But Let alone marry him. <laughs> uh, yeah. But in my make-believe state of mind, uh, when I was picking cotton and working in the fields, oh, I just had to meet and, and sing with George Jones. We have a daughter, and we have twin grandsons now from that daughter, So, uh, and we are going to record again together. Now, apart from the records you did with him, obviously you've had some absolutely classic country hits. Do you mind still singing them? People still ask you to sing them. Do you get a bit bored with that now? Yeah, I do. I do get bored. <laughs> There's some nights I want to go out and do everything Dolly's ever done or everything Reba's ever done, any of those girls, and not do mine, but of course I can't do that. But uh, it does get old. We try to find the band and I try to find different ways of doing things where the, the music is still the same and I still do the same songs but it puts a little bit of uh, variety in the show. I've always told people that uh, I've been uh, known for my ballads more so than up tempos <laughs> but if I did all my ballads on stage I'd put everybody to sleep you know they couldn't they couldn't stand it so I have to incorporate some fast songs but I'm not comfortable doing the fast ones like I am the, the ballads but uh some of your ballads, like Stand By Your Man, have, have really moved a lot of people. Can you give me some examples of how people have reacted to you in that song? Oh, I've had uh, really, really different uh, reactions to that song. Women's Lib hated it when it first came out. It came out in August of 68, and the first bra burning was September of 68. So I got in really bad trouble because I said, if you love him, you'll forgive him. After all, he's just a man. They, they didn't appreciate that, and I certainly didn't mean to get in trouble. But Lyle Lovett, for instance, he thinks that's the greatest song that's ever been written. He loves it, and he just uh, can't uh, praise it enough, you know. And I've come to the point where I just let it stand on its own. I don't defend it or put it down or anything anymore or, or expect anybody else to. I just think it's it's had a good track record for 27 years, so I'm not going to fool with it anymore. In England, it's been used to sell a chocolate bar recently with an Andy Kit Cap Kat. cartoon. Yes, <laughs> yes, I saw that when I was over there. That was cute. That was really cute. Well, you know, the story of when it came to England, uh, there was a little girl at uh, CBS International. Her name was Caroline. I do not know what her last name is, and it's driven me crazy for years, but I've never been able to find out. 
She took Stand By Your Man around to the record company, around to the radio stations nine times. And she would take it like in... Um, 1970, and no, they wouldn't want to play it. Next year, she'd take it again, took it. She took it and took it and took it, and they finally, and I think it was 75, wasn't it, when when they decided to play it, and it was the number one record over there. It's just unbelievable. And I have her to thank for that, and I don't even know what her last name is. Mm. Now, Hillary Clinton had some interesting <coughs> things to say during the presidential campaign. I'm sorry, you probably don't like being reminded about this. What was your reaction to what she said? Well, I thought it was um, very unladylike. I thought it was uncool. Uh, I was lying in bed, my husband and I lying in bed and and watching her on television uh, and they were firing a lot of questions at her and all of a sudden she said, and I will not be a little old lady like Tammy Wynette singing Stand By Your Man and uh, something about staying home and baking cookies all the time. I'm not that kind of woman. Well, it just set me on fire. I thought, how dare her bring me up in something like this? You know, when... I haven't asked to be in the middle of this political thing. And I just thought it was very unladylike to do it the way she did, and I just thought that it was uh, it was not a nice thing to do because I don't put down things that people do, and, and I, don't, I don't think she had the right to do that. So, oh, it made my husband angry. And we had uh, calls on top of calls that night from the major networks wanting to know what my reaction was. And uh, my husband told him, he said, well, she's not going to give any interviews or anything, She, but she does expect Mrs. Clinton to apologize publicly to her. So uh, the next day, it was strange, I had a photo session at the house, and and uh, I knew that she had been trying to get in touch with me, but I didn't make any effort to, to accept those calls or anything. Finally, uh, in the middle of a photo session, Burt Reynolds called, and he said, Tammy, please accept Hillary's call. <laughs> he said, she's so embarrassed, and she's so upset over what she said, and I I said, nobody could get me to do this but you. And But, see, they went there. Uh, uh, some of their, Burt's closest friends are some of the Clinton's closest friends, you know, the Linda Bloodworth Thompson and all them. So they knew how to get to me. So I told her, I said, okay, I'll do it. So she called, and uh, I answered the phone, and, and she said that she was really sorry for the way that she had said that. She said they were firing questions at me very fast, and I just, she said, I said it before I thought. Well, that's fine. That's all I want to know is that she just wasn't trying to hurt me in any way or put me down. And uh, the last thing she said on the phone was, she said, well, when I sweep through Nashville one day, we'll have tea or coffee. And I said, that's fine. So I haven't got a Christmas card from them, but I haven't been. I told my husband I have worked for five different presidents. But I don't much think I'll be going in during this four years. I don't think they're going to ask me. <laughs> so you're not Clinton fan particularly? Um, no. Hmm. No, I'm not really... Uh, I don't have anything against the man. I just, George Bush was a, a very personal friend, and I just uh, adored him. And uh, I was pulling for him to win. But my father gave, my grandfather gave me a lot of good advice years and years and years ago that keeps coming back to me. He said, uh, you know, regardless, he said, it's not the, it's not the uh, party that matters. It's the man. It doesn't matter if it's Democratic or Republican. You know, it's, it's the man that means something. And I think, I think Clinton's doing okay in his job. I, I don't feel that, that comfortable with him yet, but I hope I do. Have you ever fancied a run in politics yourself? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I couldn't handle that at all. I get tied up sometimes in the political things that go on with the record company or whatever, and it drives me insane. I, I mm. could not play those kind of games. <laughs> Just not for me. But presumably sometimes you feel very strong, strongly about things and you want to have things change. Do you ever wish that you had some power that you could do that? Or do you I feel you have enough so. power in being yeah, an artist? I'm, I'm just totally happy where I am. 
I'm happy in, in my life where I am right now. I'm happy with all my grandkids, my kids, uh, my family. My age doesn't bother me. Uh, so I'm just I'm just happy and content the way I am right now. I don't, I don't see any changes, political or any. I was talking about audiences being emotional with your songs. What about you when you're singing them? Do you get sometimes quite choked? Uh, I can always recall how I felt when I wrote a certain song. And I Is think, that necessary to do sometimes? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I don't, I've never been able to understand how any writer could write a song and get it across to the average public unless they've lived it, unless they know what they're talking about. I don't think you can just dream of something or, or somebody tells you something. You don't know how bad that hurts or how happy that makes you feel or whatever. I think you have to live it. And I <laughs> lived most of my mm. songs. Um, my favorite song right now is Till I Can Make It On My Own. It has been ever since Richie and I wrote it. Uh, we wrote the song in 1975, and it was right after Jones and I had sep uh, separated. And Richie came up to me because we had written a lot together, and he came up to me and said, uh, I got an idea in my mind, but I hadn't written down anything. He said, um, "If you," he said, give me a woman's point of view, and that's the way we wrote a lot. He said, uh, if, if the man you loved and depended on and leaned on for years and years and years up and walked away... What, from a woman's point of view, what would you say and what would you do? And I went, well, that just happened to me, you know. And he said, well, yeah. And I said, well, all I can think of right now is till I get used to losing you, let me keep on using you till I can make it on my own. He said, that's it, that's it, that's the song. So we started with that and wrote that. But, I, you know, had I not experienced something like that, how could I write a song like that and, and really know, you know, how it hurt to be in that situation? There'll be times, you know, I'll call. Chances are my tears will fall. I'll have no pride at all from time to time. And that's exactly what happens in mm -hmm. any relationship. You you forget all about pride and you just wear your heart on your sleeve. Sorry, I just think it's important that you know what you're writing about. For all your phenomenal success, you've had a lot of bad, you know, tough times in your private life and your family life and so on. Do you think that that's why? Do you think it's a sort of balance? This is somebody up above is saying, well, you're having this success, so... Well, there's definitely somebody up above. <laughs> uh, he proved that uh, over and over and over again to me. But uh, uh, I've always been a very strong believer, too. But uh, uh, I, I guess it's a, it's a kind of a balance, but I never think of it like that. Uh, I just know that I have been extremely lucky and extremely blessed during my career, and I feel like if I didn't have any hard times, the ups and downs, I couldn't appreciate the good times. So I don't know... Uh, I think it's been good for me to grow as, as a woman, as a person, because I think the stupid mistakes that I've made, uh, I've learned a t uh, terribly hard lesson from every one of them. Mm. But I think it makes me a better person now, a stronger person now. I know it makes me a stronger person now. You say you still believe as much as ever, but there must have been times when you've thought, why me? There have. There's, there's been times that I don't think anybody in their life could ever say that there hadn't been a time when they'd say, why me? Why is this happening to me? There were, there were times that, you know, that I felt that way. But then when I really... You know, look back at my life, I, uh, life's been very fair to me. Uh, I've had a lot of ups and I've had lots of downs, but Kenny Rogers, I think, said it very, really perfectly. He said, if, if you're on the mountaintop and, you, and you, have, you sink to the valleys, you can't appreciate how high that mountain is until you get down to the bottom and look up, you know. So I appreciate the good and the bad times. And the press, I'd have to say, have been, uh, they've not been bad to me. They've, I've had a fair run in press. There's, you know, the tabloids sometimes will print something, most times print something that, I don't agree with or it has part truth to it and not the whole truthful situation. And I just shrug it off the best I can because I can't change it. But uh, I think the press has been real good to me. Do you think the tough beginning that you had in your life made you very ambitious, made you want to be where you are today? Yeah. 
Yeah, I do. Um, I wish my children had been raised the way I was raised because I was raised on a farm in Mississippi and Alabama. And uh, I had to do hard labor, uh, farm work, until I was 17 years old. I was picking cotton when I was three and four years old. My mama would take uh, a, a flour sack, as we call it. We'd get 25-pound bags of flour, and uh, she would empty all that flour out in a, a big chest that we had on the back porch. And she would use that sack to make me a pick sack with, to sling across my back and, and pick cotton. Then uh, later on, she used the printed ones to make my dresses out of, and she used the solid white ones to make my underwear out of. So we, we used everything, and we did everything. Uh, I had to round up cattle at the end of the day. I did not have to milk. That's the only thing I didn't do. But I picked a lot of cotton. Charlie Pride, no, who was it? Somebody said if me and Charlie Pride had picked as much cotton as we said we had, there'd be no more left to pick. I know I picked my share, and I think you did too. But I pulled corn. I baled hay. Uh, everything. And it was a hard life, but a very good life. You've had a lot of instability in your private life. What do you think has caused that? Um, foolish mistakes on my part, a lot of it, uh, most of it. Uh, I, I can just say that I made a lot of wrong decisions, uh, uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of mistakes. I just made a lot of mistakes, and I've just had to learn from those and grow from them later. Was that down to naivety, do you think? A lot of it, yeah. I, I think I believed in everything and everybody. I just didn't think that anybody could ever hurt me. You know, I didn't, They had no reason to, so why should they want to hurt me? But then when it does happen, you get hurt so badly, you know, you have to stop and reevaluate and look and see what I could have done different. And I don't think I could have done anything any different, so I just accept what it was and go on. You don't seem to be remotely bitter. It must be quite tough not to be bitter, isn't it? No, really, in my case, I am so thankful to be alive, and especially after my ordeal I just went through, I'm really grateful to be alive. And I'm just very appreciative of life. Uh, life's short and... Uh, I don't want any problems any more than what I have have to encounter, and I just I just want to live the rest of my life uh, doing what I'm doing. Mm. Don't have change. Now, about six months ago on British television, they showed the your your life story, which mm. had a huge audience. It was very very popular and very interesting. How true to life was that? Was that actually the, the true account? Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, the, wait a minute. Are you talking about the movie Stand yeah. By Your Man? Yeah. Are you? Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that right. was not uh, <laughs> factual at all. Um, I had to go to Europe when they were filming that. And I didn't, I didn't get to be around for, you know, tell them, okay, that's not right, and this isn't right, and this isn't right. Do something different or do it like I had it in the book. And there was one very funny story that I wanted told about Jones and the lawnmower. And I begged him, I said, just put a lawnmower out on the solid black interstate and just film him from the back going down the highway. And I said, it's hilarious. And I want some funny things in there about Jones, too. But I was very disappointed. They... They did only the the bad part, the bad mm. side of Jones, and I thought that was terribly unfair to him and unfair to me and our children. Uh, they had names wrong, and I, it was too late for me to go back in and change it. I do realize that it's hard to get, uh, at the time when they did it, 40 years of living in two hours. But it was done so well with Loretta and uh, with the Patsy Cline story. It was done so well, and I just was not happy with mine at all. Mm. Uh, it was the truth. Uh, it, it was all the truth, but it was just not... Uh, I don't think it was well-rounded. I think they could have shown the humorous side of Jones, and I'd have been a lot better satisfied with it. Mm. And Are for you... my children, too. I don't like for my children to think that... I think that I'm any better than anybody else because I've always taught them that they are not any better than anybody else, but they're as good as anybody. 
Uh, I, I just. Uh, Are you going to do your own version one day, or, or update your autobiography or anything? I, I, I don't know. I've been asked. Gosh, I've been asked at least a half a dozen times to write another book, but uh, it took me two and a half years to get that one done. Mm. And I mean, I lived with it day and day and day and. And I, I, it doesn't interest me right now. I have a cookbook out, and I am thinking about doing a, a book of poetry because I write a lot of poetry. Uh, is your lemon meringue pie in your cookbook? <laughs> lemon meringue pie is in the cookbook. <laughs> yes, sure is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to tell you the funny story about Bert. Uh, it's in 1976, and I was at my home in Florida. And uh, Bert and I, had he had come in from the coast two weeks before that, and he had helped me look for some houses because I wanted to buy down there. And uh, we looked at several houses together, and we flew around in his helicopter, and we'd go look at a house and go look at a house. Well, he thought he knew which one I bought. He went back to L.A., and he thought he knew which one I bought, but he didn't. So he called and said, uh, I'm coming over for Thanksgiving dinner, and I said, okay, at what time? And he said, well, I'll be there no later than 1 o'clock because I want to have lunch. Thanksgiving dinner, and then watch the football game. And I told him, I said, well, I didn't ever like for him to come to the house when I had a lot of people there because, you know, I just didn't want to uh, bother him with, you know, people asking autographs and all this. So I told him, I said, well, I have two close friends here, but they're wonderful friends. You've never met them, but their name's Cliff and Maxine. They're from Florida. And I said, Maxine's quite a bit older than me, but she's a, really a true friend. If that doesn't bother you, and my mom and dad are here, he said, no, that doesn't bother me at all. So he had a, a lady open up a flourish to make him a centerpiece for the table and everything. They were closed, but he got her out to make a like a turkey centerpiece. So 1 o'clock came, no bird. One thirty came, no bird. And I thought, food is getting cold. This is ridiculous. So I sent the kids out in the front yard, and I said, watch for him. And I said, he, he must have forgotten, or he can't remember which place I told him that I bought. So... They went out and looked for him, looked for him, looked for him. I called the ranch and Pop answered the phone, Bert's father, and I said, where is he? And he said, well, honey, he left here at 1230. I said, it's six miles from the ranch to my house. He's not here, and it's almost 2 o'clock. He said, I swear I don't know what could happen because he left here coming straight to your house. Well, he went to this other house that he thought I bought, <laughs> and he, he went up and knocked on the door, and this lady came to the door, and he thought, well, that's Maxine. That's Tammy's friend that uh, she told me was going to be here. And when he knocked on the door, he handed her the centerpiece, and, and she said, come on in. So he went in. He sat there, and he said he thought, she's done a lot of work on the place. And then, boy, she lets those kids listen to that loud rock music <laughs> upstairs. That's not like Tammy. So in a few minutes, the lady came back in the room and, and had a glass of champagne. And, and she said, he said, no, she said, uh, Do you, would you like a drink? And he said, no, I, I don't drink. Where's Tammy? And she says, Tammy who, darling? So... <laughs> He got up and ran out of the house. He went back to the same florist, made her make him another, because he was too embarrassed to ask for his centerpiece back. And he wouldn't ask for it back. I said, don't you know, that lady, he said, was in her mid-50s. I said, don't you know she's called every friend she's got and said, guess who had Thanksgiving dinner with me? <laughs> but he got there about 2.30, and it was hilarious. And he wouldn't tell me what happened when he came in. He said, it's a long story. I'm just really sorry I'm late. Let's eat. So we did, and and. All during the meal, he was just chuckle. And I said, what is it? He said, I've got to tell you later. It's a long story. So <laughs> I thought that was a great story when he got uh, he got caught and spent Thanksgiving with somebody he didn't intend to. <laughs> now, you have to laugh, too, at the irony of the fact that, you know, you've been married five times now and your greatest hits are D-I-V-O-R-C-E and Stand By Your Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quite ironic, isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't seem fitting, but... Uh, 
Uh, the only way I can answer that is stand by your man and say, I wish things had been with me from the very beginning. You know, one one husband, one father for my children, and and you know, no problems. But it didn't didn't work that way. And uh, the songs is how I wanted it to be. And divorce, every couple has done that. They spelled out words in front of their kids when they would, you know, have something they didn't want them to understand. So that I said, of all the songs I didn't write, I should have that one, but I didn't. Do you regret the effect it's had on your own children, or do they seem unaffected by it? No, they're affected. Uh, they will always be affected in some ways, but uh, they're very proud of me, and they give me all the love and the attention that I can possibly ask for from them. They... Uh, they tell me all the time, Mom, we're so, we're so proud of you. And, and, uh, and Gwen, my daughter, told me the other day, she said, Mom, do you know how stubborn you are? And I said, yeah, I, I do. I know you kids have told me how stubborn I was all, all your life. And she said, well, since you almost died, we're so glad <laughs> that you were so stubborn that you had such a strong will to live. And she said, too, Mom, if you think back, you raised us by ourselves, and you've always raised us to be very independent women, and I have. And that's what is so strange when uh, people think that, stand by your man no I'd be just uh just a slave to some man but I'm I'm not that's how I would I think uh well it's just a pretty love song in my opinion I just mm. I didn't mean anything by it except if you love him you will forgive him if you don't it's over mm. uh, but I never said take any kind of abuse be a doormat for anybody or nothing like that and I wouldn't ever because I don't think that's right